This episode is brought to you by Keeley. Keeley Pedals, Keeley Electronics, Keeley Music, uh, whatever they're going by these days, uh, they're making great pedals. They just came out with the Compressor Plus. It came out July 5th. Is that Has that date come and gone yet, Steve? On the airing of this? No, it doesn't come out for two more days. Okay. In two days, go buy the Compressor Plus by, by Keeley. Uh, I've got one. I got to do a demo of it. It's super great, and it's $70 cheaper than their previous compressor model, and it's improved. It's a lot better. It's got a blend control. It's got an attack release switch uh, that lets you choose between singles and humbuckers so that your uh, your compressor is dialed in perfectly with your guitar. Uh, it's got a really nice little tone control on there. It's just a really easy-to-use compressor that sounds really good. I like the way it makes uh, the higher end parts of my uh, my chords pop out of the mix a little better. Mm-hmm. My cording isn't as muddy when I'm using this compressor. I like the way it evens out my lead playing. That's what compressors do, right? I think it's great. I'm a big fan of it, and I'm a big fan of the price, so go check it out. Uh, this episode is also brought to you by Walrus Audio, makers of the Iron Horse version 2. It's a super great LM308 style pedal, which is code for a rat style pedal. Rat style. It's improved on the uh, the previous Iron Horse. Yeah, we've got a extended uh, tonal range. Uh huh. We've got a little extended gain range. I, I guess yeah. it's not really extended. It's just uh, maybe extended on the low side of the gain range. Yeah, so the can, low gain is extended. So you can dial in that uh, overdrivey sound that the rat style pedals. Uh, can be actually known for. Uh-huh. Uh, and the volume knob has been adjusted to make it easier to dial in Unity. Yeah, I've, I always heard that the original Iron Horse was... It just had a really touchy volume knob. It was a little hard to find Unity on it. And the the version 2 is very smooth. I have no problem dialing in Unity with it. It's a nice, smooth volume sweep on there. And it's just a great-sounding pedal. as easily in my uh, in my top rat-style pedals list. It's up there. How long is your list? Two or three. Okay, cool. It's in there. It's in the top two or three. I'll say it. It's a really good pedal. It's a really good distortion pedal. I've been having a lot of fun with it. It's a good, like, bass. Not mm. bass guitar, but, like, bass tone sort of right, pedal. Right, yeah. Like, you slather down, like, a little bass layer of of distortion and then mm-hmm. stack other things on top of it. It's mm. the beans in the seven-layer bean dip, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. Walrus Audio Iron Horse Version 2. It's the bean in your seven-layer bean dip. This episode is also brought to you by Sinusoid Cables, makers of cables and smiles. Look, you've heard us say a lot of things about Sinusoid, so we're not going to say any other things about them. Just go check out their site. If you're looking for a custom cable, they've got a custom cable builder, and you will love it. The end. Other other, uh, podcasts (laughs) say that Sinusoid Cables are the vampire's of cables because they last a hundred years. We say they're the pet parrot of cables because they last a hundred years. You decide vampires or parrots, which would you prefer living in your house for a hundred years? Hey, this is Ryan. And this is Steve, and you are listening to 60 Cycle Hum, the guitar, buying, selling, training, fixing, modding, breaking, reviewing, playing. Hold on. What are we? Guitar. What's the next one? Uh, 
buying, buying selling, selling trade, fi- trading, trading, fixing, fixing modding, breaking, breaking reviewing, playing, playing podcast. It's a podcast. That's what we are. I was, couldn't. I thought remember. I left one out. I don't think I did. I thought we were writing a newspaper over here. Turns <laughs> out we're a podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the guitar buying, selling, training, fixing, modding, breaking, reviewing, oh, playing again. newspaper. <laughs> All right. What's new, Steve? Uh, what's new is we got a little package from TC Electronic not yeah. too long ago. I walked through the door today, and my wife was like, you got something from Norway. Uh, what? Is Norway? it Norway or the Netherlands? Excuse me. I think they're in the Netherlands. It's the Netherlands. So you got something from the Netherlands. I'm like, what are you talking about? And then I saw the box, and I instantly knew what it was. It was a box from TC Electronic containing the new Hall of Fame 2. And their new tremolo pedal, the pipeline. Steve's going to hold up a picture and show it to me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) All right. Sorry. Somebody just posted something funny on the Facebook group. Okay. If you're not on the Facebook group, you should uh, join. So anyways, I've got these two new pedals in. We we cracked open the uh, the Hall of Fame 2 and uh, messed around with the mash feature up in the music room. It works a lot uh, differently... I don't know. It's pretty cool. It was pretty cool. I was excited about it. I sounded really like unenthused. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. I'll say this: um, uh, when it's on the shimmer setting and you're messing with the mash control, you can really dial in this perfect like Star Trek: The Next Generation theme song sound. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, th- so a lot of there's been or is lot- that original series? It's original series. Yeah. There's been a lot of speculation about what the mash button does. It's it's really interesting because um, I guess the way I would describe it is uh, you push the button down to you know your stomp switch to engage. You push it down again, and it, the last like maybe 20 percent of the push down um, is is I, I guess maybe it's like ten percent. I think it's slimmer than that. You think it's slimmer than that? Anyway, the last like very bottom part of the, your pushdown uh, is pressure sensitive. So what it what the mesh then does, the closest thing I could compare it to is kind of like uh, the Havoc setting on uh, Caroline pedals. Well, what it is... Because what it does is it seems like it's taking a uh, one of the parameters... But it's not maxing it out the way the the havoc maxes out a parameter. Um, what it's doing is it's giving you, it's jumping you to the last five or ten percent of that. And if you're mashing it all the way down, you're like at a hundred, like a hundred percent. Well, what but it you is, can flow a little. It's a pressure sensitive expression vector, like an expression right. control. Like it, there's a light on there, and you can look at the light and see it brighten and dim based, yeah. based on the pressure you're giving it. So it is like a fully sweepable pressure control. It's not an on off sort of thing. No. Um, but you really got to lay into this thing. Like yeah, it, it takes, a, if you're, if you're, if you're like a, you know, like a little kid, you're not very heavy. You're not going to be able to engage this thing. All the way. <laughs> like I was really leaning into this thing and I'm a big dude. Um, but it makes some incredible sounds. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, I guess part of my criticism of it is like I feel like you really got to be on point to use it. Like, you really sure. got to be like working with it. I mean, but I'm the lo- flip side of that is I feel like if you're playing the kind of music that 
requires like that that wants your reverb to sound that way you're probably not like flying around the room smashing things. you're probably pretty focused on getting your tones the way you want them sure well i i really want to get my hands on the new flashback with the with the mash control just because i already do like time racking on a on delay pedals for some of my songs in dinosaur ghost to have it be just an instantly you know accessible foot control without putting an expression pedal on my board is really attractive to me. So even if it's like a single use sort of thing, I'm, I'm stoked to try that out in the future. Mm. So I've got these two pedals in from TC. I'm going to do demo work with them. I haven't even cracked open the pipeline yet, but I'm really excited to try their delay pedal. I mean, their, uh, their tremolo pedal and, uh, and get into like the tone print stuff with it and really like dial in like really weird, like unique, tremolo settings and the unique reverb settings i want to see if i can make that uh make the hall of fame drip get a surf rock sound of it it sounded like with uh at least the stock spring setting it started to do it a little like all the way up it does a pre-delay thing on it um i wasn't hearing any drip on it i'm wondering if i could trick one of the other settings into doing something similar you know Mm. Because if there's all these extra like mash control things in there, there might be something funky in there. Well, and it does have three uh, tone prints too. Exactly. Which I think the Hall of Fame, the original one, only had one tone print. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that's kind of a cool new thing, I guess. If you have, you know, if you have multiple tone prints you want to use, obviously, like that's a feature that you're looking forward to. Absolutely. So that's what's new with me, with us, anyways. We both own these pedals now. Right. Uh, do we want to jump straight into an ad? Yeah, let's do it. I don't know. Let's do it. I don't know why not. We're both having uh, rough weeks. We're kind of drained right now. So bear with us, guys. It's been real hot here. It's been like in the high 70s. <laughs> oh, just it's been just scorching in the high 70s. I mean, it even like tickled the low to mid 80s a couple days. Oh, those were a rough couple days. So... We had to turn on the AC for an hour. Oh, that was a new thing I wanted to talk about. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I got the AC in my car fixed. I know everyone's been been like just talking about it and asking about it. How's the AC in Steve's car? We have an update. We have an update. Two years since I had a functioning air conditioner in my car, and uh, they take off the thing and they're like, because I tried to just do a recharge. I bought a recharge kit Uh from Pet Boys and it didn't work. Pet Boys. Pet Boys. Pet Boys. Pet Boys. Remember when they used to like advertise Pet Boys with the brothers? Yeah. Like they were the Stooges, but they were the Pet Boys. Yeah. All right. Anyway, uh, so I got this AC recharge kit and didn't work. Come to find out that there is a hole in my condenser. Uh oh. Uh, And And all the juice just leaked out. They're like, oh, you must have just like hit something or something. And then so they get the car up and they're looking around. They're like, oh, yeah, no, you definitely hit something. My radiator was like cracked oh shoot uh it had a big old gash in it um what did you run into a bird or something i my guess is a a, again a couple years ago i hit a box spring on the freeway oh there it is steve you did Um, it um so i'm guessing that's what it was but uh they it was gnarly uh just this big old hole in the bottom of my radiator um, so yeah, I had to get a new one. <laughs> so I got a new radiator, got my AC fixed. Oh, whoa, and, you uh, trashed that thing. 
And uh, yeah, it was. Uh, How it, are you still driving around? The radiator wasn't leaking. Yeah, it wasn't like the radiator wasn't leaking. It was just all. Damaged. You got to post that picture in the in to the, the the show description. It's like all damaged to like just the front vent, like the. I am surprised that that didn't crack and leak. So I don't know. It seemed like it, my car was always fine. What is this car talk? I know. Um, but anyway, um, you listen to 60 cycle hum, the car, the, the car talk podcast. They, uh, the first thing I did like the next day, even though it wasn't super hot yet, is I got in my car and I cranked it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Did you sleep in there that night? I thought about it. No. <laughs> um, so that was exciting. And, and I don't know, that's it. I don't have to roll the windows down everywhere I go. Nice. That's it. All right. Let's get to this first ad. This first ad was sent to us by Co Schneider. Hi, Co. Uh, as of recording this podcast, we're going to be going to his one day event tomorrow. This isn't useful information to anyone. No, because, it's uh, not because this episode's coming over like 12 days after or 16 days after the event. But if you live anywhere on the West coast, look up one day events. Co might drive to your city sometime soon. That's true. All right. This ad was sent by Co. It's a, I've been as OD nine overdrive, 1983 steel number three, eight, nine, zero. One zero from Japan. It is $5,990. Oh, jeez, Louise. Plus $25 shipping. You think at $5,990, you could throw in shipping for free. I know, right? Well, you really got to get that high insurance shipping, you know? So basically, this guy says that the OD9, this is OD9, second year, near mint with box and manual. The holiest rare Ibanez pedal there is, released only in one small batch in France from 1982 to 1984. Basically, an OD50 board. What you have here is an Ibanez triangle slash ram head big muff. Interesting. Um, it says, check out our YouTube video where this pedal is featured in our upcoming release of the track Song 2 or 4 by the infamous and utterly abject rock trio, the Beverly Hills Dildo Cleaners. Oh, you know, that classic band that we've all heard yeah. of. Um, so, this... There is, I guess, this is supposed to be a pedal that doesn't exist. Right. Um, but, so the thing that's really weird about it, about saying that this thing doesn't exist, uh, is, is that, that this shop on Reverb has a bunch of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's another site that says, uh, produce an extremely small quantity, or they link to another site and say, or they quote another site and say, Rumor has it all OD9s were built for the French market only. The owner's manual is only in French, which is also, that actually is interesting. Uh-huh. Um, but this store has six of them, ranging in price from $1,190 all the way up to $5,990. If I was, if I was going <laughs> to buy one of these, like I absolutely had to buy one of them, I'd, I'd get the cheaper one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that seems like that makes sense. I why do they range in price like this? And why I have is, no idea. Why now, is one even eleven hundred dollars, twelve hundred dollars? Like why is it that expensive? Let alone six thousand dollars. It seems like you'd have to really be like into this. Um, I've never heard of this pedal know. up to this day. It's not like it's like. The clone where it's like everyone was like, "Oh, we really want these," and the guy just stopped making them. You know what? Somebody put one of these on uh, on. E- or on Reverb recently, and it's sold for four hundred dollars. This guy is is trying to just take advantage of us here, charging th- six thousand dollars. 
Neil, maybe he's just trying to. He has all of these up here. Maybe he's buying them himself and then trying oh, to drive the market up. It's a big scam. He's like, there's only so many of these. I'll buy them. I'll make them look super expensive so that the ones I have mm. will sell for more eventually. Hey, if that's really what's going on here, more game, pa- game respect game. Yeah, more power to you, Mr. Flipper. We understand your game well, that's now. That's crazy. It is crazy. Like this guy is trying to artificially grow the market for this obscure pedal. It, just because it's rare doesn't mean anyone wants it. Like I've never heard of it up to this moment. Like audience members, people listening right now, jump on the Facebook group and tell us if you'd heard of this pedal and if it deserves this kind of price tag on it. Because I just don't think so. Like there can't be anything in this pedal worth this amount of money. And it says the guy says like it's. Like a big muffed style sound. Why is it called an Overdrive 9? An OD9? Well, because... If it's a fuzz sound. I don't know. Here's what I don't understand. Here's a Maxon OD9. Aren't they supposed to be the same? Probably. Hmm. It's all... Like, the the value of it is all predicated on it just being rare. He, He doesn't say, like, oh, this is the best sound, and you'll only get this sound from this pedal. You know, I think the OD, the Maxon OD9 is what became the tube screamer, though. Okay. I All right, know, anyway. Um, yeah, it's not, uh, this I'm, is just crazy. If you guys know more about these OD9s, if you've ever played one and can attest to its muffness, uh, let us know because we definitely aren't really seeing a ton on here, but we uh, would love to hear from people who have used them. I'm going to go out on a limb here, and this might be controversial. Ooh. But for... $1,200 to $6,000. I'm going to say that this pedal is a no buy. <laughs> Don't buy it. Thanks Kramer. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's move on to our, our topic, which is kind of, this is the product that came up. Uh, someone posted it on the Facebook group and I just saw it today. Yeah. We're talking about the mission pedal power brick. It's a USB pedal power brick. Yeah, it's the it's your standard looking, you know, kind of like pedal power source. It's got you know some nine volt plugs on the side. Yeah, but the trick is that it runs off of USB plugs. Like you plug this into your computer, you plug it into like a USB connection on your laptop or wherever else, and that's what you use to power your pedals. Which I think is a really interesting concept. Yeah, there, there's a. I mean, depending on what the cost is, there's some interesting applications here. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, I've got some questions. Sure. Uh, I mean, I guess this is so you don't have to have any kind of proprietary, large. Uh, I mean, not. You think about. So this out the output here is four by 150 milliamps, and then a single 500 milliamp. That's what uh, it says. It's isolated. Um, but uh, what I'm thinking is if that's all you need, I mean, who doesn't have, you can buy like one of those little USB cubes and a USB cable for like five bucks Yeah. versus, you know, a proprietary power supply where if it breaks, like you're going to have to buy a new one and it's probably going to be like 30 bucks to replace that power well, I was, supply. I was thinking that this is kind of like a DIY Volto, you know, like the, the yeah. pedal train Volto. Where well, like, the difference with the Volto is that Oh, okay. It's its own. It's its own battery, right? And it's like when the battery is shot, then it's shot. This is just the power supply, 
and you can get any cheap USB battery to run right. your pedals off of. So you could even like, like I've I've been running the my Zoom H6 here off of this Amazon battery that I have yeah. that works freaking great. Like imagine you have a travel pedal board, you uh, you have this power source on it. You just plug in a fresh USB power mm-hmm. uh, USB battery when you want to use it. And maybe you have a couple of them and you swap them in and out like when they start to go bad on the road, you know? One of the things I would be interested in is seeing how well the plugs are isolated because sure. in in one application that would be really cool, which actually you talked about when we were doing our pre-app, um, is that uh, this could be a really cool tool to keep on your desk, on, yeah. a, for, on a computer desk. I, the way uh, I run my desk now is I've got the katana sitting next to my computer desk. And so I sit there and I practice and I try pedals out uh, when they come in and stuff like that. They're at the desk before I move to filming them in, in my like music space. It'd be great to have a power supply like this where I can just plug in a couple pedals and run it off my computer and not have to have yeah. another wall wart so, like hiding behind a desk somewhere. So the concern I would have it, and they, you know, again, they say it's isolated, so you wouldn't think this would be an issue. But I've used other USB powered audio devices. Uh huh. They always have a ton of noise on the line. Like if you're getting noise from. From the computer. Like from the computer, yeah. Well, I've used like USB powered speakers, like things like that. They just are. That's terrible. a good question. I mean, I think using uh, an external battery, like the Volto concept, I don't think you're going to get that. But no, I yeah, think it plugging, would be specific to a computer. Plugging into a computer or a laptop, something that's plugged yeah. into the wall as well, you there might be a noise issue. Mm-hmm. I mean, Mission is known for making really you know high end stuff. Yeah. So I'd hope that they'd have that sorted out. But then also, here's my next question. How much is this thing going to cost? Right. And they, they don't list a, a price here. Uh, it is called the Mission Power 529. So hopefully it's not $529. <laughs> 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 uh, no, I, I don't think that would be why they would call it that. But no. uh, this product isn't uh, slated to hit shelves until September. So uh, no pricing information at least is available on their website right now. I from a conceptual uh like I think if I had the right reason to use this it would be cool. Yeah. Um at the same time like I think about the way that I use pedals and, and I don't let's see five outputs like I guess that's cool. I'm thinking about like the only other times I've like demoed pedals per se if I've done like a live stream like I've only just used like a single Uh-huh. Pedal, so I've just pulled out like one, uh, I've uh, one spot or what, like, they yeah, call yeah. It like power all that I use for that. But again, that's only good for doing one pedal. If I wanted to do like three or four, then I'd either have to find a daisy chain or whatever. This is obviously very compact. I like the thought of using it for demo work because I'm often plugging into some kind of power supply that's plugged into the wall. Yeah. And certain days, depending on, you know, what's going on with, you know, solar storms or whatever, like oh I just can't goodness. get rid of noise that's coming. Right. Well, it could system. also give you some really interesting options for, um, for locational. Cause I know like exactly. basically all your, the bulk of the demo work that, that you've been doing is um, our simpler demo style. But like, if someone wanted to do, be like, "Hey, can you do something like 
crazy. Like, can you, I want you to like actually record this in the middle of a cornfield. Oh, sure. Oh, you'd still have to figure out the amp though. Yeah. I get oh. one of those new, uh, seven watt katanas. Yeah. yeah the battery powered katanas. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I'm not thinking, I'm not thinking far, far enough forward, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, overall, I think it'll be interesting to see how many people use these. The price is what it's really going to come down to for me. If, if um, this thing is affordable, it might end up being part of my rig in the future. Yeah, I do like this as like a kind of a fly idea. Of, you're saying like as a fly rig solution, like you, if you're going on a business trip or something, uh, you're already probably carrying some kind of cell phone battery. I know like when we went to NAM, like I got to have the Antec. And, yeah. Uh, when we... When um, you know Melissa went to Disneyland, like she w- wanted it, and I've used it for a lot of different things. Uh, so that could be like you've already got one of those things, so you could use it for this purpose. Most pedals don't draw that much power. Yeah, I guess so. Th- I guess that's the other thing I would I would wonder is what is the how does the pedal draw comp- the constant pedal draw compared to like. Uh, iPhone or like the H, so like sure. the H six, right? So the H six, you're running two mics, uh, both with phantom power. Uh huh. What do you normally get out of the battery? Like out of a- well, you also have to consider that there's a full color LCD screen on sure, this thing. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, I'm saying considering the H six as an entire unit, yeah, plus yeah. The mics, I get days off of oh, okay. that battery. Day, okay. It runs for days. So if you can do days off of that, like I'm sure the H six is generating like is is a pretty big power yeah. consumer. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a, that's a, I mean, I actually pretty neat running off of the double A's that it has a compartment for, right. if I'm running phantom power, then that's like three hours. Sure. Off of double A's. But like, uh, your battery here. So yeah, last for days, much higher yeah. uh, <laughs> deal. Yeah. I, I, I forget the last times I recharge it cause it, I need to recharge it so rarely. But you know, this is a bigger pack. Like I'm, I'm betting you could run a pedal board off of one of those smaller USB batteries mm-hmm. for sure. And then you know, you get two or three of them. Throw a little Velcro on there. You stick it to your board and you swap them out as you need them. You know. And there's just there's as I was hinting at earlier. There's just such a practical angle to using batteries for pedals versus plugging into the wall. Like you erase a lot of noise issues yeah. that people are yeah, trying sure. trying to deal with with all the you know different isolated versions of things like that all the isolated versions of pedal powers like once you go battery like you erase those issues especially yeah. if you're running a really small simple board that's just you know fuzzes and drives and maybe like a simple delay or something like that like yeah this is i think it's a great concept yeah all right let's move on to doing an ad We've yeah, talked about that thing enough. This ad was uh, sent by Jesse Micah Emery. It's for a Robin Ranger. Um, it says, 1993 Robin Ranger, uh, Robin Guitars Ranger, candy orange, handmade in Houston, Texas, $1,100. 1993 Robin, excellent condition and perfect playing order. Comes with the original hard case. Uh, this beautiful combination of Stratocaster and Telecaster is made in the USA. Uh, right in Houston, Texas. It's over twenty uh, over twenty four years of life. It's obtained some minor character marks on the fretboard beneath the B string at the seventeenth fret. There's a small ding uh, in the maple fretboard, as well as a subtle, a subtle mare in the seventeenth fret. Is that how did what's this? Uh, I don't know. 
How do you have a subtle mare? They're pretty big. Yeah, I guess so. Um, but it can be felt while playing. It can't be felt while playing. How do you not feel a mare on the 17th fret? I. What is a mare? Are we talking about a horse here? It's a female horse? There's a horse on this guitar? That's what it says. I don't know, man. Sounds weird to me. Well, anyway, it says it doesn't uh, cause any playing issues. The back of the body has some very subtle and sparse buckle rash just below the through-body string ferrules on the treble side of the back plate. Man, that is a very guitar geographical <laughs> description. Uh, constructed from most likely an alder body with rear body contour and finishing candy orange, a gorgeous flame maple neck with equally blah, blah, oh geez, equally as gorgeous flame maple fretboard, 22 extra jumbo frets, carved bone nut, black spurzel tuning keys loaded with a set of Rio Grande pickups, five-way pickup selector, master volume and master tone control. And a Telecaster style input jack on the treble side, lower bout of the body. The neck profile is. Oh, it's still as, going, Steve. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Okay. The the neck profile is as extreme of a V as the headstock. The neck is not only a slim V profile; it's also asymmetrical and finished with high gloss. Uh, whatever. Okay, we're done. Seven pounds, fourteen ounces. I've seen uh, uh, Robin guitars and Robin Rangers before. I've never seen one with this headstock. Uh, is that like the Gibson, like Futurist style headstock? Like Gibson had a weird headstock they were running for a while. Uh, it's similar to it. I don't know if it's exactly the same, um, but it's definitely similar. I'm going to try to find that Gibson headstock. Weird Gibson headstock. Let's see what comes up. Was it the future? Is that the one that you should, that you're thinking of? Uh, the modern. Oh, the mo- It's kind oh, of okay. it's kind yeah, of a nod similar. to that weird like V-shaped modern headstock that they use. This sometimes. company's still around, actually. Robin yeah. Guitars. Well, the the thing I always think about when when I see a, a Robin guitar around is just how completely. The uh, the Fender Squire, what was it called? The, the the fifty-one. The fifty-one ripped off the pickguard design from from Robin. But that pickguard design was already a Fender design, was it? Yeah, that's... but it was on their bases though, wasn't it? On the Tele base, sure. But they moved it over to a guitar, and then Fender took I, it back. I, I mean, guess. I guess. So I mean, I kind of get the argument, but I I don't know. Is that a thing that you just think, or is that are there people who are like like? It's what I think. I'm sure there's other people who think it too. It's definitely like an old Tele, like that's a Telecaster based pit guard. Right. But they moved it over to guitar, like uh, this Robin brand moved that design over to guitars, which makes sense because they typically do these Strat style bodies that have Telecaster bridge pickups in them. Right. I, I you know, I, I get what you're saying. It, it does look like that. And especially because this thing exists. And then the 51 exists. And, and it's got the know. same control plate, too. Yeah. That's that half a, Telecaster plate. Right. But again, that's like an old Telecaster. I know. Deal. I know. It just feels a little weird. I've never seen these before. It looks really? like uh It looks like their headstocks are just like all over the map. Yeah. They kind of experimented with a lot of different things. But this uh, is definitely the weirdest headstock I've ever seen on one. I almost wonder, even though it's a to- completely different visual design, I wonder if this is a if this headstock is in violation of Music Man's four by two patent. 
Maybe. Because I'm pretty sure only Music Man guitars have You've the 4x2. You've said that before. I don't think that's true. I've I've heard that it's considered their signature look and that they they own it. I think that this is far enough out there that they wouldn't be able to pursue anything. Also, it seems like this is a one-off. I think Robin Guitars was like kind of like like a boutique, like one-off each time sort of deal. I might be wrong on that. Maybe they had production guitars, but I think they were mostly custom. Yeah, I've only I, I just did a Google search for Robin Guitars Ranger, and I've only seen I haven't seen that fret or that headstock on any other body. No. Except for the one that's for sale. I like it. I would play this guitar. Yeah, it's real funky looking. It looks like a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, I would definitely play guitar with that headstock. I really like the way it's paired with the strap body, too. There's just something really funky going on there. I think it's a cool look. I mean, oh, there's another one. What is is that a Robin, too? Yeah. But that's a totally different body shape. Yeah, so they got one on one that's more of a... Uh, I found on the Google Images search one that's more of a... How would you have described that body shape? Kind of like it's, it is more of a Gibson shape, but I want to... It's s- almost like a Firebird. It's almost like a Schecter take on a yeah. Firebird, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of kind of thing going on. Uh, but yeah, $1,100 for this. It looks like it's, the price is in line with what you should expect to pay for a, uh, a 90s uh, a Robin Ranger. Yeah, so the Robin Ranger as a whole, like those are all... St- Stratocasters, and in turn, it looks like they all just have different, um, like some of them have that pick card and some of them don't. Yeah. Uh, but well, like I said, I think they're all one-offs, so they're all kind of all over the map. Right. on what you want. They're like more of a made-to-order. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure. I could be super wrong about this brand, but that's always the impression I have. Uh, now everything I'm seeing has, on that as the Ranger has that pick card, so maybe the other one I found, somebody swapped it out. Maybe. But anyways, go to the episode description. Look at the picture. Yeah, it's it's a it's cool headstock. Crazy. Yeah. All right. Uh, do we want to tackle the topic? Let's do this topic. Uh, who who posted this? They posted it to the inner circle. I believe it was Adam Dolhanic. He asked, uh, what kills brands? And we uh, had an in-depth conversation on the inner circle that we won't reference here where we talk about very specific brands and uh, yeah. drama in the gear community and things but, like that. But, you know, this is basically talking about... Um, what kills brands? Well, you know, sometimes you have a brand that uh, is around for a hot minute. Actually, the the ones that he, I'll name one of the ones that he was interested in, which was Mad Professor. Uh huh. Um, you just don't hear anything from him. Anymore. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know why that is, but Mad Professor for a long time was like, if you wanted a two screamer, everyone was like, oh, don't get a two screamer, get a little green wonder from Mad Professor. Uh huh. Like that was the go-to. Um, now I know one thing that has hurt Mad Professor, though I don't think it's the the reason that you don't hear as much from them, is that they became a, a popular enough pedal that they were getting cloned a lot. Mm. So there were a lot of Mad Professor fakes. I've seen a lot of like. So fake- you think they went Charlie and the cho- they went uh, Chocolate Factory? They like closed up shop and like. I don't think they closed up shop. Went, like, I mean, went I don't secret underground with the Roompa Loompas. I don't know what they're doing. I just know that I've seen um, a lot of like fake little green wonders and right. deep blue delays on the market, and so I know that's something as a consumer that could make me wary. 
uh, at least of buying them on the used market. Sure. Uh, obviously, if I bought from them new, then that wouldn't be a concern. Um, so for them, like I don't, I I just don't know. Like I think there are certain companies that they get a foothold and then they just happen to be at the wrong place at the wrong time when a new hype machine comes up. Sure. And uh, well, yeah, I think, traction because of that. I think there's there's the the root of that point is that the market shifts. Yeah. You know, like like new things become popular or something better comes out. And so like the flagship that floats some company is dethroned and they just kind of fade away from it. Yeah. They can never find a footing again. I think even al- along those lines, like sometimes the market doesn't really shift as much as uh, somebody just learns how to manipulate it better. Like somebody sure. new comes in who can manipulate it better than you. And um, I wonder sometimes how much of it is um, is driven by the people who, especially now, like the people you get to like demo your stuff. Sure. Or the people that you can get to like name drop you is social, social media driven. Um, one of the conversations we have a lot with people, with uh, listeners and in the Facebook group is really talking about like, you know, the question that's on every gear form, who's your favorite demoer? Who's your favorite, uh, you know, YouTube guitar player or whatever. Um, and so th- there are those guys out there who, if you send them a pedal, like if you can work your way into Andy's schedule sure. at Pro Guitar Shop, like uh, you basically just guaranteed yourself like a, th- what, a thousand, 10,000 sales. I don't know. Oh, I doubt it's, it's, I, I think, you know, certain products sell themselves. I think a lot of people <laughs> that are smaller builders send stuff to Andy and they get, you know, it's it's not just all Andy. It's in all pro guitar shop. Right. It's also like the product itself has to be interesting enough for people of to course, actually look course. it up. So I think small builders are going to see return from that, but it's not going to be like the return that like boss sees when Andy demos. Sure. You know, like the sure. new rever- the what is it the, the RV five hundred. Like I'm sure Andy's going to sell them. You know. Ten thousand. Yeah, of those. That, I mean that's a good that's a good point. Where too. you know, and like uh, you know, if Fuzz Rocious sends Andy something, maybe you know, I have no idea. I'm, I'm just pulling numbers. But I mean, butt. like that. But that, maybe they'll sell a hundred. I of guess them. that's that's the kind of traction, though. So I guess maybe what I what I mean is, if say you had an expectation of zero sales, right, right. So you have the option of sending a pedal to Andy, or sending it to, or doing the demo yourself. Yeah, like. Setting it to Andy is like working some angle. Or, you know, say you want to release it on your own. So you bring in, I don't know, somebody interesting, uh, Mateus Asato or, or James Duke or something, uh, one of these guys that's like at least a semi-recognizable name or a recognizable name in a lot of gear groups uh, where you can now go on to a form or you can have them like tweet it like, hey, I just did this demo for this guy. Check out this video. And they tweet it. And just by having a great demo player or a great, like not even necessarily a reviewer, but somebody who's like recognizable shilling your product. Right. Not even using shilling in a negative sense, sure. but just as a representing it uh, is going to benefit your brand. And it's going to touch, it's going to get you in the consciousness of players. I guess so, not even from. Why are we on this? 
Because we're talking about what kills brands. And what I'm saying is like, I'm looking at it from a marketing angle of it's not just like sometimes getting your name out there is finding the right people. There are companies that are known for their in-house demos because the guys who work in the shop who also do their in-house demos are phenomenal. Players. Oh yeah, totally. I think like, you know, yeah, you we're doing we're doing work for Walrus Audio, but they I think have a decent reputation for also putting out good in-house well, the- demos whereas like EHX, honestly, like I've heard a lot of people be like, yeah, their demos like I don't watch their demos. I watch other people demoing their stuff right, because right. I don't, they, people don't think their demos are very good. Well, a lot of times they're just like you don't get the information you want out of them. <laughs> that that could be a thing too. Yeah. And what I what I've experienced is getting into being a demo guy and stuff is the companies that produce their own demos and do mm-hmm. them well. It's because they value demos and they also hire out other demo guys. Right. Like they don't go like, oh, we have our own demo team and that's just it. They're like demos work. Let's get as many demos going as we can because right. it works for us. And they hire out to other people. Where then there's other companies that don't have in-house demos and they don't hire demos. Yeah, and it's, yeah. they just don't see value in it. I so, guess. So I mean, that's that's one point. Uh, I mean, I don't know marketing aesthetics, having rich parents. I don't know. <laughs> These are all things that can affect whether or not your brand survives. Uh, things from that are simpler, like well, you're asking a different question now. You're asking what makes a brand survive. Well, I'm saying if you're not surviving, then you're killed, right? So I guess so. Surviving is if you're not killed, then you're surviving. If you're if you're killed, you're not surviving. They're the same. They're two different I ways guess. of approaching the different, same problem. Different sides of the same coin, right? Um, so I I think about it from as uh, you know. Well, I think that's an interesting like, like angle. Con- concrete things that can kill brands. Lack of communication. Lack of communication, especially when the product is delayed or the product... Sure. You know... Or the product is like on a custom level. Uh, you know, there's pedal builders out there who have had a lot of bad press because they do, you know, various you know customizations and things like that. And they get backlog and it's hard to keep up with that. Yeah. Um, and they they have to deal with some backlash and people complaining like, Oh, how come I've been waiting for weeks and months and a year? Yeah. <laughs> Things it's like it's, that. Uh, it's kind of a crazy thing, but like, um, I'm trying really hard to not name names. Right. This. I think I that's think, not the point. I think there are, are a good number of brands that like, as far they are their own marketing, especially small companies. Uh, the operator, whoever is the face of the brand becomes synonymous. And again, like, sure. I use them as an example because they're our sponsor. Actually, we we have a couple companies. Literally, Keeley Electronics. It's his name. It's his name. Um, right now, I would say like Colt Colt from Walrus Audio. Like he's pretty synonymous. Like when I think of Wal- Walrus Audio, I think of Colt. Like that's just what's yeah, in totally. my head. Um, so there is. That the- might just because we have dealings with him but he's also like he's also the the, running the company right now right right i know um you know so you have that and um so you know if all of a sudden one of these guys you know and in this case maybe they're not the best example anymore because these are you know they're more established companies but if you're a small brand where you're the face also the face of your brand and all of a sudden like quality starts suffering or product starts shipping late or whatever issue, 
And people, because you're the face, they're also like interacting with you, not just from the brand side, but also on a personal level. So the product's slipping, but you're posting, you know, photos of your Hawaiian vacation. <laughs> and after, three weeks after your Hawaiian vacation, while they're still waiting for their product, you're posting photos of your like Canadian adventure or whatever. Like this sounds like a great life you're talking about. Yeah, here, well, it's great, except you're taking all these vacations on on the backs of undelivered product. Sure, at least in you know in the eyes of your customer base. Right, right, right. And so these are things that they don't like, they don't know that you you took this vacation because it was planned a year ago. Right, and right. the reason that something hasn't shipped is because <coughs> you're waiting on you know some company somewhere else to deliver right, a widget. Because whoever or whoever was supposed to do your cases had a paint can malfunction that destroyed their painting machine so you can't get enclosures or whatever right um so i mean there's issues like that but that goes back to the communication thing uh-huh. where you can put something out and say like hey enclosures are delayed for one month so if you're on the list like this is what's up uh also like i'm gonna be out of the country for a while like with doing on some personal business or whatever yeah it's um, tough when you have when you are a company owner and you make your personal persona part of your brand, right, and, that, and that's and because what I'm saying, stuff like, like that becomes visual, you know. Yeah, and it's something where you know a lot, you know, these guys can build up their company and build up their reputation. Like, who doesn't want to buy a product from a cool guy? Oh, totally. Like, you know, someone like you, someone you relate to. Oh, so yeah, yeah. I was gonna say someone like an everyman. You know, I don't want to buy something from someone like me. No, I wouldn't buy someone something from someone like me ever. Um, but you know, yeah. There's definitely there's definitely like unless unless it had to do with like like beauty products because it just looks so good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's definitely like uh, a function there that is kind of just you know it's kind of interesting. To see, like you know, a lot of these brands that build up on their the backs of their own social media, on the backs of themselves as being like the face, but then when things fall apart, like they either disappear or things fall apart because they won't disappear or like you yeah, know, these yeah. Things. It's tough on the internet now because um, like things don't go away. Like information is always out there, and, and people will fight about it forever. You know, I think it uh, the. Very first thing starts with customer satisfaction, and if, if you fail to do that, like you're never going. No matter how good your product is, sure, um, you know your customer base isn't going to react well. I mean, for all of the complaints about like Bill Finnegan and Klon and all that stuff, like the reality is, is like he made a product, he put it out there, and then he stopped making the product. So in a sense. Maybe not from a personal level, but he kind of like washed his hands of it. Uh Another example of like really managing demand is like Paul Cochran with the Timmy and the Tim. Like for a while, he stopped making the Tim. And I know on at least one form, it was basically kind of put out like, yeah, I'm stopped making the Tim so I can focus only on Timmy's and getting these all out. And I think he's looking at bringing the Tim back. Mm-hmm. I saw that a couple months ago. I don't. I don't know how that's progressing, um, but that's another case of somebody who was like a one man shop. Who, in his case, like he knew what the way to regulate his demand level was like, just not to be accessible. So if you wanted to buy one of those, you had to go on a form, you had to find him, and you had to pick up the phone and call him, and then he would like talk to you. And that 
That was the funny thing with the Timmy is it was a pedal that was in production. It was just a slow production. Right. I guess it's almost like the, a less extreme version of, of the King of Tone. Uh-huh. Uh, where, you know, like people are paying like way more than what a new pedal would take, but they didn't have to wait for it. So Yeah. I mean, Call Duke just sold one for like 550 Yeah, I think. that's crazy. It makes me feel like I'm a fool for not getting on the list for one. But then I don't feel motivated to do it. And what I'm worried, like I said in another thing that we recorded, I'm not a gambler. I think that was last week's episode. Like, yeah. Like, what if, what if I'm like you and I get a, uh, a KTR and it doesn't sell? Yeah. Yeah. What if I get a King of Tone like the day after he releases like a mega batch? You yeah. Know? Um, so there's, there's different things like that. Um, you know, again, the service angle is obvious. In the case of brands that fade away, it's I think it's just a matter of not keeping up, especially in the social media age. I think um, that's it. I mean, speaking of one of our sponsors, Keeley, like he said in interviews, like over and over again, like that's the story of his company. Like he came out with he came out with a bunch of products that sold really well, and then after a while, he rested on his laurels. He's like, oh, I've got these couple mods. I've got a compressor. I've got, you know, this thing. And, you know, he, like his brand just started to suffer after a while. And yeah. he wasn't paying attention. And his whole company turned around when he brought new people in and started doing this thing. Now where they're making like an incredible amount of pedals now. Like yeah. just busting them out. And it completely turned his brand around. Well, they've but also, he, was, he was on the edge, basically, of his company fading into oblivion. Yeah, they, they've also, from my understanding, anyways, taken a really weird angle with their advertising campaign right now. <laughs> Where the meme ads? This, all the meme ads. Uh, what's the one? The one I've been seeing is like, uh, pedal, is cons- pedal is considered a vintage classic. Only released 10 months ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, They're doing funky stuff over there. They're having fun. And yeah. it's revitalized the brand. And they have, you know, like a whole new wave of 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 of, uh, of products yeah. and of traction in the industry. It's It's been pretty great. Um, but, you know, they could have been disappeared by now if they hadn't yeah. adjusted. Yeah. Uh, graphics... I mean, I think graphics can be a make or break for some companies. Sometimes, uh, it's I wish it, I wish it would be more. I wish I wish ugly pedals would fail well, more often. You know, I think sometimes it's something. And I where wish it's like, that pretty pedals would sound better. I just think that like maybe <laughs> it's not it's not as formulaic as it you want it to be. I mean, I see it for all the criticism. I you know, I guess for every critic I hear of JHS's design. There's someone like me who's like, no, it's perfect. No, I like their like the really simple, like simple little icon. But a lot of people hate that, and a lot of people are like, if I'm going to pay a, a you know 170 dollars or whatever for a distortion pedal, you could have at least paid a real graphic designer to put some art on this thing. Oh my gosh! And it's like, but that's kind of like that's their look, like that's what makes it work. But you don't want to break your that's their branding. You don't want to yeah. break your branding. Well, so there's people like I've I've heard that argument a lot. And I'm just like mm, I, mean, I was I, a big I was a big fan of uh, the old Mojo Hand graphics uh, back in the day. They uh, the guy who owned it changed the graphics before he sold the, the mm. company to Cusack. But I liked the original run of graphics on so many other pedals, like the the one ton B. 
and uh, you know, like the Colossus yeah. and stuff like that. They had the full pedal graphic, just really hard black and white, yeah. contrasty designs that were just really fantastic. I was a big fan of that. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if graphics really make or break a company. I think it can. I think if you're making like a truly like hideous, hideous product that um, it can. The, I guess the the issue would be that in order to in order to like get to the point where your graphics destroy you, like you have to have actually had success with a different graphic. I guess set up like you can't just I'm trying to what's a single company that's been hurt that deeply by their graphics on their pedals I think a lot of well I don't I don't know if it would be only graphics but but I know like um I can't think of it and you'd think I would know this if there was I feel like there's definitely some some out there where people like see the graphic and they, they either think it looks cheap or like it, they can't, they don't take it as seriously as they might huh. like another brand for, but for so, one reason or that another. part is so subjective. I think, you know, the reason <laughs> I think the reason brands fail or succeed is, is farther outside of that. I think it comes down to what you were talking about earlier, customer service and, and reacting to your customers. Uh, I think it comes down to product supply and delivery uh, and it comes down to um, a pr- quality control and product reliability. Yeah. I, th- I think if those things start to fail and you can't keep either of them up, like they're all kind of like legs on the tripod. If one of them fails, you're just out. Right. Right. All right. Well, um, while we're on the topic of products that failed, <laughs> uh, this next ad was sent in by Eric Bailey, uh, posted to the Facebook group. This is a solid state Fender Vibrolux Reverb. Uh, SR2035. This is when Fender did this very short run in the late 60s of solid state amps Uh that all just look like air conditioning units. They look like like space station control panels to me. Yeah, they're really wild uh, looking. Well, they're like this this vertical uh, alignment where you've got two speakers lined up on top of each other and then the amp control is like this big panel like at a 45 degree degree angle facing out at you. Uh Uh, I think this is a really cool look. I really like the look. Yeah. Personally, I would not mind owning a tube amp that looks like this. Yeah, no, it's, it's or uh, a nice or a nice solid state. Yeah. So this guy was actually the person who was selling this was asking for $75. Actually, I think it's in a, I think it's in a store. I saw uh, one of these locally for like four hundred bucks. Really? On Craigslist, and it was in ru- it was like lived by the beach condition. Interesting. So seventy five bucks on this is a killer deal. Yeah, I, I was would- telling the guy on uh, Eric Bailey. I was telling him on on the Facebook group like seventy five bucks is worth it just for furniture. Yeah. Well, I would kind of looked at it from the perspective of I, I found one. I found a YouTube video, and it sounded fine in there. Yeah. Uh, two seventy five dollars is more money than a lot of us spend on a tuner. Uh, yeah, totally. like, it, or, sorry, it's less money than we would like spend on a tuner. Uh-huh. So I was like, you know, like depending on your situation, like it's low risk. Oh, absolutely. Worst case scenario, like you could probably sell the speakers as vintage Fender 
guitar speakers and get most of your money back. I was looking at like you could probably sell those knobs for 75 bucks. Oh yeah, those are some uh, some really cool classy looking, looking knobs. aluminum knobs. So, uh anyway, if you ever see a solid state uh there's a solid state Vibrolux, I think there's a solid state twin and a solid state deluxe as well. Yeah. I mean the 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 demo that you found online was like a cell phone quality video. Yeah. But it sounded like a decent guitar amp to me even through you know, the cell phone quality of the recording, um, these failed massively when they came out and they yeah. were a joke. But you think about 1969, like a big, clean, solid state amp would not have been popular. Right. Like, what if this is a great, like, pedal platform amp now? Or what if it's a great, you know, like, like Doomy amp, you throw fuzz mm. at it and it's just super heavy and crisp or something like that. Like it's not going to sound when this amp came out, people wanted to sound like Hendrix and this right. a big clean solid state's not going to yeah. do that. Yeah. So I wonder if these things are actually pretty decent. If I ran into this for 75 bucks locally, I would be owning it right now yep. for sure. Even just for the look of it. I think it's a really cool look. Um, I'm, you know, you and I are, neither of us are afraid of solid state. Mm hmm. Um, so who knows? What if it sounds great? It sounded pretty cool in that demo. Yeah, it did. You have anything else to say about it? No. Are you ready to call it a night, Steve? I think we should wrap this up. Yeah, it's been a tough week. Thanks for uh, sticking with us, guys. Uh, more episodes to come, obviously. Yeah, I'd like I don't to know why I even our, said that. I'd like to thank our sponsor, Sinusoid.com, uh, if you're looking for... A custom length cable or just something that uh, an instrument cable that you know is going to last you for 100 years. For 100 years. Uh, check out sinusoid.com. i also like to thank our sponsor, uh, Keeley Electronics. You can check them out at robertkeeley.com. We just uh, put out a demo of the uh, Compressor Plus from them, which also uh, just had its price reduced down to $130. It's a fantastic compressor pedal. For uh, for 130 that's like a market-disrupting price for a for a boutique yeah, compressor. Uh, go check that thing out on our YouTube channel. If I don't forget, I'll post a link to it, but I'll probably forget. <laughs> um, and uh, thanks to our sponsor, Walrus Audio, who has supported us for a really long time. Yeah. Uh, supported our demo efforts, and we're super appreciative. Uh, we just got to do their Iron Horse version two, and uh, it's a ton of fun. LM three hundred eight style distortion pedal uh, that's got it upgraded. Uh, everything we we talked about at the beginning. You don't need to hear it all again. You know what's upgraded. Yeah. So they're yeah. gonna be sending me their delay too. Yeah, I'm if it, super looking forward I don't, to that. I try not to believe that anything is going to happen until it shows up on my doorstep. Right. But I, I'm I believe that they'll send it to us. It's the what is the ARP eighty seven. You know, I lost my walrus hat. We should ask to see if they can <gasps> throw in a. We should see if they can throw in a hat for me. I'll ask them for you. I think they got new hats in recently. Or I'm going into. I'm going to Nam soon. I'll see if I can pick one up. Your job at Nam is just to find hats for me. I've been wearing my walrus hat lately, like going to the beach and stuff. It's a good hat. Yeah, I yeah. wore it at the at the county fair. Recently. I had it, and uh, I think I left it at church. And you know, things disappear. Oh, yeah, some, it's gone. Probably some homeless dude in downtown San Diego wearing a wal walrus audio <laughs> hat. Right now. I was wearing mine walking around the county fair, like I said. I kept like thinking, like, I wonder if someone's going to see me and stop me and be like, oh, cool, walrus. It didn't happen. Dude, kid, kid, I, that hat drove, like, the kids I work with crazy. Because, like, why are you, what's the, what's up with that walrus? Why do you love walruses? Yeah. <laughs> walruses are weird. They got Our, their tusks. All right. You want to talk about the songs? Yeah. This week's song was sent uh, to us by Morgan Vanderhart. He's in a band called Vitamin K. 
The song is called Stranger, uh, so check it out. Again, there will be a link in the show notes where you can find more of their music. Um, if uh, you want to send music to us, 60cyclehumcast at gmail.com, mp3, m4a, wav, uh, wow. any of those formats are perfect or you know if you if you don't want to or if you want to like you can send us a dropbox link but it needs to be one of those formats yeah. just no windows specific media yeah. format basically if it's a windows media file a wmv or just WMA, throw it in the trash because that's what we're it's gonna not do gonna work because ryan uh is a mac user i'm a mac boy thanks Sorry. for listening bye See